0: This is The Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Rinella. Jared Oakleaf, thank you for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I, I gotta say I was uh a little shocked when I sent you an email, just looking to chat over a, a few emails about some of your thoughts, and uh, got invited on the podcast. But I sure do appreciate being here.
0: It's by des- it's by design. I mean, I I there are there are a few people I want to talk to, and several of the first podcasts I recorded were with them. I you know I started out by inviting six or eight people that I wanted to talk to. And then I I just stopped inviting people because I, I was hopeful that people would reach out to me and want to come on. And I think a lot, I think that if, if people that if more people that didn't make money off hunting had a voice, then are while while widely held beliefs about hunting hunting would be different. So, what better way to bring in additional voices than new voices than than start a podcast and invite anybody that's passionate enough to devote an hour or two to a conversation on to tell anybody willing to listen where they come down on issues in the hunting sphere. So I guess that's the, was the idea.
1: Sure. Yeah. Do you, uh, are are you familiar with the, uh, the semi wise reflex, that concept at all? Mm-mm. So there's uh it's a, it's a great story. So the, it's a tendency of, uh, society to just off the cuff, reject um, information or knowledge that pushes against social norms.
0: Was that somebody's name?
1: Yeah. You know, so it's named, this, it's named this after this,
0: psychology. this doctor.
1: Okay. Yep. And his name was Inez Semmelweis. And uh, he is such a great story. He He was working in Vienna at a hospital in Vienna, right? And that hospital was having all these problems with um, essentially bacteria infections with newborn mothers and kids, right? And uh, some I started looking into it and it seemed to plague the doctors and not the midwives in that hospital. And what he found is that the doctors were performing autopsies on dead people and then going up and... You know catching the babies essentially and not washing their hands of course hand washing wasn't a thing uh this was turn of the 19th century uh, pre and,
0: the the pre the what what do they call it the um microbe theory of disease or yeah you
1: know. right they just thought the disease came from bad air and it got to the point where women were afraid to even give birth in that hospital because they thought the The uh, doctors were like cursed. Well, some eyes figured this out. And he's like, well, the midwives especially were having much lower rate. Well, they were not touching dead people Uh before. And he created this concoction out of, uh, I I think it was lime juice to clean hands. And instantly the, uh, the amount of this disease went way down. And, uh, and and he thought he'd just proven to everyone that, hey, I, I, here's the knowledge. Well, the problem was he, the knowledge that, that he or the data that he was presenting went against social norms at the time. And he was pretty much rejected, even though he, his results were, were, were demonstrating on a daily basis as, as this disease was going down. And uh and and in the end, it's kind of a sad story. He ended up uh going a bit bonkers trying to tell people to wash their damn hands oh. before delivering kids. And he died in an insane asylum somewhere. But uh but we forever preserved the Semmelweis reflex. And I I have definitely thought of some of your conflicts the concepts as you uh as you present them and, and you're hearing from people on, on this. So, but, but I do have to say, and I said this in our, in our emails, I I think uh, the conversation that you have lit amongst the hunting community is invaluable for us to, you know, do that inward, get inward gaze to hunting and make sure we stay relevant going forward into the future.
0: So have I started a conversation or did I just There would generate a little heat over a couple articles for a few minutes. And then things went just right back to equilibrium, right where they were.
1: I think, I think you've definitely started a conversation. I mean, anytime you get, what was it? You had like three or four authors uh, in outdoor life, give a rebuttal. Yeah. Um,
0: But it could be, you could interpret it as what happened was, Uh, a hunting celebrity let their obscure brother write an article that proved controversial. And then, um, the authorities in hunting, some of the authorities in hunting, uh, uh, pointed out what nonsense it was. And that was the end of that. And, you know, I, I'm open to that as, being the consequent you know being the what the sum total of what <laughs> transpired in terms of changing people's hearts and minds do you think that people talk about r three more now than before i wrote this article yeah i i, I think
1: people did some inward looking in R3. I mean, I, I definitely had a lot of conversations on that, Um, you know, and, and, and I'll just, I'll just back up and kind of give a quick introduction of, of who I am and and what I do so that we can, we can cover that. But, um, so I live and play in a place called Lander, Wyoming, which uh, some may know, some may not. We're home to the national outdoor leadership school, which is a, a pretty famous outdoor school uh, that teaches uh, climbing, mountaineering, camping, backpacking, uh, and, and being at the base of the winds, we we see a lot of recreationists. I work for a federal land management agency managing recreation. And so I, I do think about these concepts a lot. And uh, that's been my training through uh, college, as well as, moving forward into my professional career. Um, I like you, I, I have, uh, I have, uh, older brother. I, I you guys, have, you have an older brother, right? Is that no, right? I'm the oldest. I got some older half brothers. Okay. My, so my
0: two whole brothers are younger than,
1: so family. I'm the youngest of three older brothers. Okay. So, um, so I definitely relate to you there in in terms of uh, relationships with brothers and and how interesting that those relationships can be and how good of a time that can be uh, having spirited discussions with brothers. Uh, I was my father was a wildlife biologist, non-game biologist with Wyoming Game and Fish, growing up, and so I came to hunting and angling through uh, the very classic way of paternal lines uh, but i would say that i really didn't get into conservation and I, I i am a a board member with Wyoming bha and uh and also an organization here that's a mule deer centric organization called muley fanatics foundation and uh i really didn't get into conservation until uh in my mid-20s when i realized that uh I wasn't contributing to the and it's hard to even refer to hunting as an activity or a pursuit. I I don't I don't know how to lump it very easy, easily. but yeah, um, I, don't, I
0: don't like calling it a sport for for some reason that doesn't resonate with me um, So the, I like this pastime, I think pastime
1: gives the science good. in in my field, Uh, Likes to refer to it and lump it under as a leisure activity, which um, I I have a hard time thinking of it that with like smoking jackets and people sitting around with pipes (laughs) drinking.
0: It does conjure that kind of of a scene for sure. But I guess it's, um, it's something you do when you're not at work, which is your leisure time. So I suppose, I mean, it's incredibly vague, you know.
1: Yeah. But yeah. So, so kind of realized that, um, you know, maybe I was being a bit selfish in life in terms of, you know, being one of those classic hunters and anglers who just take and don't give back. Um, and, and I would say that part of that influence was, was gained through media. I mean, I gained that through media. I, I didn't, there was no push by my father or or my mother who was involved with uh, 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 conservation orgs here locally. There was no push to get into conservation orgs. And, and then my job, I, I think I kind of got in that mode of thinking, well, I do, I do that for my job um, and maybe that's enough. And, and I think really from, you know, I was definitely influenced by, for better or for worse, by hunting media and uh, other conservation org media to get involved and, and did. So that's a quick background to me. Uh,
0: I, it it sounds like you, you have reservations about it being media that inspired you to get involved with nonprofits that it might not be a good thing why would that be a bad thing
1: i don't necessarily have reservations but i have a hard time maybe pinning it specifically to media um in the same way i have a hard time pinning uh people's participation or increase in participation to media or social media for that matter.
0: You mean hunting um,
1: participation? What's that?
0: You mean hunting participation? That's right.
1: Yep, that's right. Uh, and, and if I were to use a, a very big word and hopefully use it correctly, I would say it was more a synergistic effect of my upbringing, where I was living, uh, plus a slight nudge from uh, media. And, and that would be how I'd also characterize my, my, uh, the intensity and the manner in which I, I hunt. Uh, I am, a, uh, uh, I, I would say I, I spend a lot of time hunting between archery season and, uh, all the way from our archery season. If you have a pronghorn seat, pronghorn tag starts in August. Uh, and then we go right into bird hunting through January, so uh, do a lot of hunting. And uh, I don't think with without media, I don't think I would hunt in the same way, or um, you know, know what 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 I know about hunting today if it if it weren't for media. I mean, my my dad took us hunting quite a bit, but he wasn't. Uh, definitely wasn't a practitioner, if you will, of, of hunting techniques. And so I picked up a lot of what I learned through media, be it magazine TV uh, and later and st- still picking that up through probably through social media.
0: What do you think? What do you, do you think hunting? Uh, what, on uh, whatever axis you want to, you want to measure it would it be better off if the educational component was there but it was we decided collectively that we weren't going to put dead and dying animals on the computer anymore so you get the same exact information instruction how to without what i think are um illegitimate illegitimate uh incentives that come from putting dead and dying animals on the computer i'm thinking of things like yeah it's like uh, uh, monetizing wildlife bragging which as near as i can tell is a huge reason that that people do it uh fodder for anti-hunters um, uh, turning money, uh, hunting into, uh, 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 big money. Hey, look at me. Um, I've got 30,000 followers. Sika, maybe you could put me on your pro staff kind of shit that I just think is disgusting. Uh, so like, is there a way that you could, why, why not just dispense with the, I mean, I, I see that you, that you, you do post, dead animals and stuff. So you have a different perspective than me. I, I just wonder why, why not just dispense with everything but the instruction and, with, and the, and the how to and the, why we should care about conservation stuff.
1: Yeah, no, it, I, I think it's a great, it, it's a great question. And that's part of what I think the, uh. and in, in you're absolutely right. It'd be hypocritical for me to say that uh, posting, dead, dead animals I obviously haven't ever posted dying animals or wounded animals or any, anything like that. When I
0: say dying, it's, is like the kill shot, which mm-hmm. is pervasive in, yeah in, in media. Once it's got a, that instant that it's on camera with a hole in it, it's dying. So that's why I always say dead and dying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm totally guilty of, of posting uh, what would, be characterized as grip and grins. And, um, you know, and I I think that's the, that's a bit of the fire that, that you've lit. Like people like me, uh, I now have to look back intrinsically and even think why I'm doing that. Like Mm -hmm. it isn't just a matter of dropping a photo anymore. And, um, you know, the best explanation that I can give for my own posting of dead animals Is it's, uh, you know, first of all, social media is an express, whether you like it or not, social media is an expression of the best parts of life, much in the same way a diary would have been, uh, and, and, and maybe that's the wrong comparison because there was some pretty, uh, you know, the diaries are, are a little more detailed, I guess, than social media usually is, but, um. But hunting is such a big part of my life. It's if, if I'm going to participate in social media, it feels like that's an expression of what is going on in my life at the time. And uh, I mean, I I don't think that I'm not saying that my posts are better than others or or somehow I live up to a higher standard, but my personal ethic for posting dead animals is uh, I try to do my damnedest to keep blood out. I mean, there'll be a little bit of blood where you just can't uh, manage it. I try to keep it very, um, extremely tasteful, you know, no flexing, no, like, I mean, there's some strange stuff that goes on with dead animals on, on, on uh the internet and social media that is just appalling to me and i try to keep that or i don't try i I don't do that with dead animals Um, i've been thinking
0: that when i get sick of doing this podcast i might i might uh do a 180 and try to make up my point via absurdum so that like i would have i would be I would have I would oil my chest and arms, and be standing over the deer with girls in bikinis, you know, and pouring de- beer into their rib cage, and then having the girls pick it up and pour the beer into my mouth, and just see if I can do it that way, you know, like have it be that okay if we're gonna you if we're gonna use these animals to make statements about ourselves that's that's cool let's let's just really freaking do it then you know. Let's go, don't, let's just go all the way, but don't forget putting, putting
1: dead ducks in your mouth, which is a, a thing apparently, oh. um, on social media. So, so yeah, I, I, one of the, uh, books that I read, uh, philosophical books about hunting that I read and try to read, uh, like when you're stuck in a tent and it's raining or whatever is, uh. Jose Gasset's Meditations on Hunting. And one of the great quotes that, that he says that I think kind of sums up the reservations who's about posting. Who's Jose who's, Jose E. Gasset? He wrote the book Meditations on Hunting. And it's an older book. Um it and and it has a lot of um just kind of philosophical. Musings of this fellow as he's hunting. Right? Is he an outdoor writer, or was he an outdoor writer? I, I guess. I mean, this would be. I don't know the date, the publishing date of that, but um, you know, this this is an older book. I mean, probably predated any kind of gun writer or or any of that. But uh, one of his quotes is the uh, the beauty in hunting lies in the fact that it'll always be problematic. And I think that's the, the epitome of the struggle with any kind of media in hunting, even all the way back to, I mean, I remember being a kid and watching hunting TV and you had to turn on the Nashville network of all things. And sometimes ESPN, you know, and, uh, that problem, that thread that I think you talk about is well, it is always omnipresent in 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 media and i think man I, I i just i do worry that if an analogy I'd use is if if um when it, when uh, mountain lions and sheep herders are coexisting on the landscape uh the sheep herders as long as the lions aren't killing their sheep, they dare not kill a, a a lion because a new lion could move in and be a sheep killer. And I wonder if, if the tasteful, thoughtful people leave social media, who are we leaving it to?
0: Yeah, that's a valid, a valid point. Uh, not 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 so valid not I'm not that's a very good point I'm not so it's but it's not so good that I I come away from, I mean no matter which way I look at it like I think that if somehow the idea of hunting tv never dawned on humanity uh and I don't know Mark Zuckerberg was never born I I think there that uh hunting opportunity would be more democratic. I think that that hunting media, hunting whichever whether it's magazines, TV, social media, the the massive rapid increase in all of that stuff, the in content over the last several decades are responsible for increasing the monetary value of wildlife and therefore leading to people buying up exclusive access for themselves. So, yeah, if if people that, I mean, the thing is, everybody thinks they're doing it for the right reasons, right? I mean, everybody thinks that their media is for the right reasons. Yeah. Uh, so so if, if, if somebody provides an objective standard and we get rid of everybody that, that, that does it right, is that going to somehow lead to problems? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I I think the I think that, I think that the problem with leasing and people hunting for terrible reasons is clearly... Those problems are clearly exacerbated by media, um, but I don't I don't know that. Like, well, how would it in your mind? How would it if uh, if we killed the lion that leaves the sheep alone? and um, I.e., if everybody that was super tasteful by whatever standard you want to gauge tastefulness stepped away from hunting media. And left like, I don't know, real braggy people like Cam Haynes and, and, and committed poachers like Ted Nugent that like, what would be the risk that non hunters when they're, when they get curious about hunting content for a quick sec, they end up on the wrong person's
1: feed. I think they only have one place left to land. Right. Um, And there's just some awful stuff on social media with dead animals. And uh, I mean, just appalling things going on. And one, uh, there was a huntress who killed some sort of strange uh, ram. I don't even know what, what species of, of sheep this was, right. She killed this ram and she posed next to it with a bloody dildo. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, and, and and that was one of those situations where the hunting community did rise up and and she took some some heat for it. Uh, probably not enough. I mean, she's still a famous huntress sponsored by uh, uh, even famous camel, com- a well-known camel company. Really? so uh i think i i think there's i think there's some some definite uh lions at the doorstep if you will that we should be getting after first as a priority as a community and uh before we start heading towards uh complete blackout
0: yeah how well how, what about the, what about the idea I posed earlier of everything but the kill shot and the dead animal? Because that's my only beef. Mm-hmm. Does in in order to combat the 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 bad content, does there have to be dead stuff involved? Couldn't you just be no, out there with I, your dog and your or your bow or yeah. your fishing pole? There's a beautiful river. I mean, that seems to me to, to be like, oh, that would to 900. They'd be like, oh, there's somebody enjoying nature, and they seem to be a responsible person. I personally, I'd be like, oh, and they're not even gloating over something they shot.
1: Yeah. No, I I I think there's there's space for that. I, I do think that the juxtaposition of the two provides context as well, and and maybe gets at some of that that beauty in hunting that Gassette was writing about in terms of, of that, that, that problematic aspect of what gets labeled as a leisure activity or a sport. um, That really is, it's blood sport. I mean, we take animals lives and uh, and, and that should be done with utmost respect. Uh, But, but I think, I think less.
0: I I just don't think showing, I don't, I don't know. I just, I like killing an animal for somebody else's entertainment. uh, Doesn't seem like showing it respect to me. Mm -hmm. And then when I interview eight people that post dead game pictures, seven of six of the eight in this article, I wrote, they, they, admitted that bragging was a motivation. And then one of them got back to me after the article ran and then admitted that bragging was a motivation. The eighth person that didn't list bragging as a primary motivator said they wouldn't do it if it wasn't for making money. Mm-hmm. So I I don't see, I just, I've not been, I've not been confronted with like a very concrete convincing reason where it serves the hunting community and i and i see all kinds of ways in which it doesn't yeah
1: no and I, I i i mean i agree with you i think generally speaking social media is a uh a part about sharing achievement and bragging if if you don't think social media is a, isn't about bragging uh you probably haven't been on social media <laughs> Very long, you know? Yeah. I mean, and what
0: pisses me off is that they're, it's bragging about something that I've had and that's been a, a major part of my life. Yeah. For, I feel like I have some, I'm not trying to tell past laws or get anybody to do anything they don't want to do, but I just feel some sense of ownership over it. Some kind of, I have a deep connection to hunting and, and it just, it just cheapens it to me. Mhm
1: you know, one thing I, I wonder when I've heard you talk about these concepts, uh, and I, I I know you've consumed social media over, over your life.
0: Yeah, I still, Um, I still do. I, I, I have Instagram on my phone so I can, uh, keep tabs on, keep tabs on my wife who lives on the other side of the state and she's pretty busy this time of year. So uh, I get to see pictures every day of what she's got going on. I don't have a problem with social media. I just have a problem with the thing we've been talking about. Yeah. That component of
1: it, that small component of it. Do you feel like uh, hunting media over its progression in your time? uh, What do you sense that trajectory has been?
0: I think it's, it's, it pro it, it started out i'm thinking of like art laha or or these or fred bear you know i i don't think that the incentives back then were for making hunting shows were nearly as perverse as they are now like now it's just Those guys probably really did care about conservation. We're trying to educate people now. There's hundreds and hundreds of TV shows, and they all like give a lot of them give lip service to conservation. But then, when you watch the show, like they're about they say they're about conservation and education, and then all you see is kill shot after kill shot and people shooting stuff out of uh, airplanes with spotlights at night, like coyotes and pig wild pigs. And it's got, <laughs> it's just, and it just ad after add, like ticker tapes going across the bottom of the screen with, with listing all the products that the host is using right at that se- second. I mean, it's just not what I signed up for when I chose this as my passion. Yeah. It, it, it just, it pisses me off. It really does. I mean, I think that hunting is a sacred I'm not a I'm a secular person but I think it is this sacred spiritual like taking the life of an animal is not something to be it's not something to be taken lightly and I think that it's a it's a great litmus test if if you can do it if 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 you if it's important enough to you that you can do it without turning it into clickbait bait and shit like that, then then I'm on board. If not, I'm just I'm just not convinced that I'm just not I'm not totally convinced that the hunters doing it for the right reason. Maybe they would have stayed home that day, but they thought they'd have a good chance at getting some more content for their thing. So they went and shot some ducks or whatever. I mean I don't see any benefit to it. I could see that we're what I just described might happen a lot. So I just don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it.
1: Mm. Yeah. So from my perspective, having, having watched it, I, I can, um, I think back to where it was when I first started consuming it. And, um, you know, it was, it, there was no attempt at, uh, you know, couching it as fair chase. Well, I shouldn't say that it seems like maybe leading in when it was like the Kurt Gowdy, American sportsman, and some of those older ones that it, it it maybe seventies, eighties was, was more about the hunt and sharing the totality of the experience of hunting. Uh, but I think when, when I started consuming it, the nineties and two thousands, it was, it was awful really. Um, but I feel like it made a, a progression. Lack of fair chase. So it'd be like
0: fence hunting.
1: Yeah. A lot of deer coming to feeders. So what's Uh, the pro what's it,
0: it? Unless there's a, Unless the only thing I don't like about high wire fence hunting is if it if it causes disease issues. Other than that, I don't care. If if it does, if if it wasn't for the disease worries, I wouldn't care if people wanted to shoot something inside of the fence. Um. Why why should I care about that? It, other than the disease issue,
1: I think the disease one is. Is most profound right now. Obviously, um, well,
0: a Hedibus Paribus situation. All else equal, without the disease, yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not. Like,
1: if I, if, if, I, I want, I if somebody
0: it, wanted to buy a steer on a ranch and then go out and shoot it, long, mm-hmm. I mean, as long as they dispatch it quickly, if that's what gets them off, great. Yeah, I think that's what people are generally doing when they pay to hunt leased land is, <laughs> you know, hunting a quasi
1: wild animal. Yeah, one that's been manicured and yeah watched through trail cameras, but and, no, and, I... and never had a,
0: I mean, never had a, uh, difficult or alarming experience with a human before, so they're pretty docile. Yeah.
1: I I think the high, the high fence, uh, brings about views of, of the animal doesn't have a fair way of getting away. And so it lacks fair chase. I I think that's the big part. Um, yeah, I, I I have
0: to think about that, but, but that might, that might, that argument might appeal with me. I just would have to give it some thought, but I'm thinking like, if these are deer that have been raised in captivity. And then they give offspring and they're raised in captivity after, I mean, they're essentially then livestock to me. So they're being, they're livestock. They're, they, they they're, and then what's the difference between shooting one of them and shooting a sheep that's in a fence?
1: Sure. You know, and, and, and maybe more so to the in in terms of consuming hunting media, uh, you, as a hunter look to, uh, look towards hunting, uh, media to maybe tickle your desires and motivations for hunting. And so if you're seeing high fence stuff, and that isn't how you hunt or what motivates you to hunt, it's not, Uh, interesting to consume nor does it it help you develop knowledge as a hunter Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah what what I've I feel like I've watched over over my time consuming it is um, we at least have some constellations of hope in hunting media that I think uh, I, I I listened to Rob Shaw's Uh, your podcast with Rob Shaw real intently um, because Rob's just lives to the North of me. And, uh, and he's definitely making waves in the conservation community uh, with some of his concepts. But uh, I I really took issue with his, uh, his disdain for say like Randy Newberg, who uh, Newberg's one of the guys that, that I've interacted with a lot and uh, and I've also consumed his media and I see a a conservation message in his media uh, and not just his media but his actions that is is has really been a bend of the course in hunting media that he didn't have to do he didn't have to choose that his conservation track that he did and in fact it probably makes him more enemies than it does friends Uh, but One thing uh, Rob mentioned a moose that he wounded for shooting too far in the podcast. But one thing uh, I've seen on Newberg's hunting media that I think is, is a real stand up example of a good hunter is he shoots at an elk. It's not too far as, as Rob's problem was with this moose. Uh, He shoots at an elk and I believe it's in Arizona. So one of those tags that, are you know once in 10 15 years type to draw and he hits it and he draws blood he shows that on the film he doesn't recover that the elk but he punches his tag right there and uh i think that's a an extreme example of the progression that i've seen and the change that i've seen in hunting media that that i think is important and and uh and something we should celebrate a little bit more
0: i don't there's been the last 10 years has been Several of these people, several hunting TV people have gotten very serious poaching violations. I don't remember that from back in the day. Yeah. Um, hunting in the sticks, co-hosts Ricky Mills and Jim Jim Duncan poached a bull bull elk without a license, out of season. Uh I just have some notes here about these guys that I that I took the other day. They got they also got in trouble because they didn't take the meat. Um for not, they didn't take all the meat. And then the, uh, then they tried to poach another elk the next day. And the only reason they didn't is because they missed, um, Matthew Alwine, uh, poaching deer, poached a bunch of deer and elk from 2010 to 2015. Uh, I'm not, I, I'll just read the names, uh, spook span turkeys, Chris bracket, uh, Killed a second buck. I guess I'm not just reading the names. I'm still doing it, but I'll stop now. Bill Buspis, Blaine Anthony, Ted Nugent. So, and, and my, my thinking there is, I often say, I could poach the rest of my life without getting caught. I, I, I can't imagine getting caught. It'd be so easy to not get caught. One of these guys got caught. I think it was Bill Buspis Bus- got caught in his own ranch.
1: In Wyoming.
0: Yep. So could you imagine how many of these people are poaching and not getting caught? Yeah. So yeah. I don't, I don't, I just don't share. Oh, warm feelings about like the improvement in the, in the media writ large. There might be exceptions, uh, like Randy. I had Randy on a while ago and. I asked him like, kind of like I'm asking you, like, he says that for him, all his all his media stuff has been a money losing proposition. And he, he so he he's actually kind of bankrolled it somewhat through his career as an accountant. And now I, I think he quit being an accountant just last year, and now he's doing this full time. And I said, so, you know, he's very adamant that his motivation is, well, his mantra is uh, promoting public land hunting and making advocates for it. Uh, So I asked him, why do you have to show dead and dying stuff in order to do that? And he said, because nobody will look at the conservation stuff. He's got a. The only way he can make money is off the killing stuff. um, And then that allows him to, to pay for the conservation stuff. So he must, he must think his message is pretty important. If he thinks that, you know, killing animals um, to bankroll it is a good idea. Yeah. And that,
1: You know that his and I've I've talked with him about that too on in terms of his conservation videos and how they end up spending a a lot of money to to do those and uh, I I think that's something that everyone can do whether they agree with um, like your stance on social media which is on you know on the spectrum in terms of hunter views of social media but the other one is why can't if 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 we as a uh, culture celebrate those conservation videos more so that that's the money-making venture. <laughs> you know, I, I think we can turn stem some of that tide just by, by, uh, you know, not, not being so myopically focused on the dead and dying animals and, and taking some time to learn the conservation messages. So, um,
0: so Jared, I, I, I just have to press you just a little bit and then I'll stop. Why do we need the dead and dying animals?
1: I think it's the hook and, and, and maybe that's, that's the part of the problem that you have with it. Um, Who's it hooking? So it's pulling along those folks that like to consume hunting media. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty as charged, you know, I, and that's what I was getting at. Is I was maybe brought. Uh, how did how did see? I I was brought to conservation via hunting media, classic hunting media, and I stayed for I stayed with conservation for my own reasons and and my own understanding as I gained that knowledge. Maybe that's that's what he's getting at in terms of. And he's absolutely right. I mean, and, and it's, it's a, it's a bizarre. I don't know if the algorithm works this way, but I can tell you anytime I post uh, a landscape in my social media feed, it gets like, you know, very few likes. And I don't even know if half the people I know see it. Um, but a picture uh, a grip and grin gets just seems to circulate more, and I don't know why that is. I I think people are consuming it and liking it and interacting with it, and that drives the the algorithm. But um, but I'm uncertain as to you know I, I just wouldn't think that uh, Mark Zuckerberg or uh, the creators and managers of the social media platforms would 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 push dead animals. No, uh,
0: I, I'm, I'm absolutely positive that, that there's people preferentially look up the dead animals. I mean, I do it if I, on the very rare occasion that I'd be on social media, if I was going to look at somebody's hunting page, I'd want to see what they shot in the same way. If I'm in a motel, historically, I don't allow myself to do it anymore because I think hunting media is terrible for the future of hunting, but I mean, I, I would watch zealously watch hunting shows. I don't have it at home. So I would, but when I was there, I, I like to watch the kill shot. I think it's all about the kill shot. I, I, that it appeals to me. It makes me want to go hunting. I, I think that it makes non hunters want to go hunting. Um, it, so I, I, I I definitely think that it's a that it's appealing in the same way that sitting in a Roman Coliseum and watching gladiators was appealing. I just don't think I just think it's not good for our community. That's yeah where I come down on it. Are you worried about crowding at all?
1: Yeah, crowding's an interesting one, and 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 that's something that uh, part of the reasons I reached out to you is that's kind of my bailiwick in terms of. And again, I'm I'm giving personal opinions here, drawing on professional and academic experience. Uh, crowding's a very interesting topic, and it um, I think there's there's a lot of aspects influencing crowding, and uh, I'll I'll tell a story first from hunting with my, my girlfriend that addresses one of my uh, thoughts in terms of crowding. So Lander, Wyoming, a lot of people know Lander for its world-class sport climbing. We're really well known for climbing. Part of it is uh, there was a group of early adopters of the recreation activity of sport climbing here in Lander um another part of it is with the influence of the national outdoor leadership school here uh, but but we're well known for climbing and uh in 2021 my girlfriend who she was a uh a late late hunter um adult onset hunter i don't really like that term but that seems to be the 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 term that gets used um uh, and her and I were going elk hunting at a place where uh, I've been hunting my entire life, and there'd always been a level, some level of uh, climbing in that area. But I hadn't been back there in probably three or four years, and it's actually a spot where I killed my first bull uh, with a bow. And there's a specific tree I go to every time I go up there to uh, as as a memory to that. But uh, we go up there. And the crowding isn't coming from other climbers or excuse me, other hunters. There are climbers everywhere. I mean, coming out of the woods, piling out of the woods. And then, um, I mean, it was like a scene from a zombie movie. The sun was kind of low. It was fire season. And so had this kind of red sun orb glowing and people were just walking out of the woods at random places. And, uh, And so that started it like now we're running into all these people. And then we get down into, uh, some of the more rugged country that, that we're hunting and it's early October. So usually the elk are still calling in, in Wyoming, uh, when, when we hunt them in early October. So we start in on a calling session near a bedding area that uh, just grew up knowing that the elk would bed in that location. And, uh, start hearing the noise it's like oh maybe maybe there's an elk swinging in on us and calling calling and it was just people yakking and hollering on cliffs as they're getting their joys and so so i i hear you on crowding like i, I totally hear you there but but the one thought i i would give at a very kind of uh tertiary level in terms of of crowding. I would rather share the woods with a hundred people doing the activity that I'm doing than a hundred people doing a different activity that may not necessarily be uh, compatible to the activity I'm doing. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. And so,
1: so that's part one. Do
0: you wish, do you wish there were more hunters?
1: um i would like i said i would take more hunters especially if it meant more hunters concerned about habitat and conservation of that like if you had a uh, dial useful. that
0: that dictated like you could turn it, it goes from zero to a hundred percent and right now it's at five percent five percent of americans hunt where where are you gonna put the dial boy i can't i can't
1: pick that number it's that's tough for me. I I think it uh it's I mean in your field, this
0: has got to be something that you should have a settled opinion on, I would think. <laughs>
1: <Great>. <laughs> well, I I don't want to say this too loudly, but uh for the most part, we aren't super crowded with hunters in a lot of parts of of Wyoming. Um So maybe we're the, maybe I'm used to the, uh, exception, not the rule in terms of hunting experience. Uh, but, but I, and, and I certainly hunt, I hunt weekdays. I hunt times when people aren't out and, uh, man, I'm alone more than I am with other people. So it's hard, it's hard for me to say that, uh, crowding is influencing my experience, but for, uh, and, changes to landscapes that have occurred, uh, especially to support other recreation activities. I mean, that's the big one for me. Uh, The other part about, about hunters that I think something we need to think about in terms of our, our customs and culture uh, is, I do think hunters are becoming louder in general. And, and this isn't just getting at your uh, hunt quietly mantra. I think I think we're, uh, you know, you go on a landscape and you hear four-wheelers, all the motorized activities, and then um, because of safety issues, we're required to wear orange, so you're spotting people easier. Um, I I think we just have a much higher presence on the landscape than we used to, and and maybe that's influencing people's experience too, but um, I struggle to to really get at crowding as being i'm i, I know it's an issue some places, but uh oh, from- i think it's well
0: i didn't mean to interrupt i just i be, i've been getting emails from all over the country
1: that yeah
0: i mean it's it's all it's been it's been the dominant problem in my hunting my whole life nothing the that the the major impediments to me having a good time hunting are people leasing up land I used to hunt. For themselves, or an outfitter, or now we got this group that's leasing up a bunch of. It's called the Land Trust that are leasing up all kinds of land for them, and then selling it access to it a la carte to people. Um, people messing up my hunts when I'm out, and inability to draw tags. So I'm like, why would I want? Why would? I, why would I want more
1: hunters? Yeah. Yeah, and then I definitely I mean I understand that and part of the I, I think part of the reason uh I, I think you and I are very similar in that where we go hunting. Uh one of the main experiences we're seeking is enjoying solitude and uh getting close to nature. It, there's definitely some of that, but I'll he I I I I I would rather hunt
0: around a bunch of people and get one get something then be by myself and not get something. But I just think of those two things as so intricately intertwined that it's they're in, they're just inseparable. If you, if I'm out, if I'm out bow hunting out, if I see somebody on a given day, I'd say that my odds have just declined precipitously. Yeah they're going to be off trail somewhere and a place I'm hunting and then I'm walking along and they're here, they come and they're coming from the way I was going. How is that helpful? <laughs> Why would I want that? Yeah, Especially when yeah. there's no clinical evidence that making somebody a hunter makes them a happier person. Unlike a lot of activities where there is clinical evidence, you know,
1: well, and I think that's uh, maybe something to think about in terms of of crowding is, and and there is a lot of research out uh, out there, and I I can send you some of these citations and stuff about uh, the experiences that hunters are looking for when they go to the landscape, and um, there's a lot, a whole lot of research trying to discern whether success is the only factor that dictates uh, uh, the happiness with the hunt or the level of satisfaction with the hunt. And, but there's this other, other bulk of research that says, and it goes to that. I don't even know who said the quote, but many men go fishing to only find that it's not fish thereafter. Um, I think that there's a bulk of research that shows that people go hunting for these other outcomes and it may, harvesting a critter may not be the paramount outcome thereafter. Uh,
0: yeah, that would make me an outlier because if I, if I knew in advance that I wasn't going to catch anything or shoot anything, I'd, I'd go to work that day. Cause I'm always stressed about work. You know, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. for me, I'm out there to get one um, or to help somebody else get one.
1: But do you feel as though, and, and this is, this is maybe one of the things that, that uh, I, I think is important to chat about more. You mentioned that, that you haven't seen any research that hunting makes you a better person or benefits individuals
0: not yeah not in a way that couldn't be achieved through some other means
1: and that's it's it's an interesting concept in the field of of leisure management or recreation management of uh the gestalt this is, I heard you use this word on a podcast and I was like I haven't heard another person use the word gestalt
0: I also know uh, what synergy is <laughs>
1: It might have something to do with what you know. We do, do you know the classic de-
0: definition of synergy? Uh
1: uh-uh.
0: uh. It's when the sum is more than when the sum is equal to more, when the whole is equal to more than the sum of the parts.
1: That's is that synergy or gestalt? Because that's, that's very synergy. similar. That's okay. Synergy. That's very similar to so,
0: gestalt. Like I used to do when I was a graduate student we were when i was a master student we i was we were working on these herbicide efficacy trials and sometimes if you mix two herbicides together they'll have a sy- synergistic effect so let's say that one of them kills 30% of the weeds and the other another one the second one kills 30% of the weeds and then when you tank mix them together instead of killing 60% of the weeds they kill 70% that would be synergy, gotcha. And then if it's if they're antagonistic, then they kill less than the sum of the parts, so something like fifty, you yeah. huh. know. But Gestalt, Gestalt was a a psychologist.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yep. And and so uh, when when we talk about the Gestalt of outcomes, you uh, realize from an outdoor recreation. Uh, participating in outdoor recreation activity in a place that helps facilitate those. We talk about a grouping of outcomes that include experiences and benefits. Experiences are what you're realizing when you're in the place doing that activity. Benefits are those that come from a uh, uh, satisfactory experience. And so where I'm going with this is, uh, and I've heard, the, heard your discussion on this on the podcast, and I think this is some, uh, maybe some good tweak to that, your claim that hunting doesn't have any benefits to people that they can't get through, say, yoga. Uh, when you look at the gestalt of experiences and benefits that one gets through hunting, it is remarkably unique. And part of why it's unique is that attachment of you're procuring wild meat, does that make sense? So I can go backpacking and get a solitude experience, but I'm not procuring the wild meat or pursuing uh, animals in a way where I learn their paths and their trails and their habits. Uh, so intimately about the only thing where you learn a, uh, behavior of wild animals, truly wild animals would be photography or, or video of those animals. That's anywhere close to hunting, but I would still argue that with telephoto lens and all that, there's some separation. And then even in the photo industry, there's probably people looking for the cheap grab, right. Where they can just sit outside of Yellowstone and get uh bear 399, which is a very famous bear in our country who had three, uh, Three cubs uh, get her pictures easier than say going into the backcountry of the thoroughfare. So um, keep that in mind when you, you think about the, the benefits of hunting. And it and I think it's it's easy to conceptualize when you think about your own uh experiences and benefits that you derive from hunting. I I think it starts, you start to realize that like oh, this this activity is important to, at least to me as a person, uh, personally, but it also has these cascading benefits or or these uh, benefits that are linked uh, through a causal relationship that move further down. And by that, I mean, it could be economic benefits, which I know that that's anytime money gets involved, it's, it tends to corrupt people. And and I think you're absolutely right in, in, in that, in pointing that out. Uh, but there's also, uh, what do you benefits. mean by,
0: what do you mean by economic benefits?
1: So uh, yeah, that's, so it could be as simple as people making money, whether it's outfitters and guides off of providing the experience, but uh, more so there's economic benefits that to communities, so uh, com- there's some communities in the West. Uh, Broadus is a classic example. I don't know that Broadus would exist if it weren't for hunting, for the most part. So there's there's those benefits, and then one that's that's super important, and it's it again maybe speaks to why hunting is such a unique one is benefits to the environment. And there are benefits to the environment from hunting. And those are sometimes hard to see because all that we see is (laughs) the people driving off road, the people trying to get uh, their Instagram posts uh, and and doing things illegally and causing damage. But uh, uh, environmental benefits could be as simple as helping to manage ungulates to carrying capacity uh, or some of these further on down the line benefits that I was talking about where you gain a greater sense of stewardship towards conservation by participating in hunting. So there's some causal linkages there. They aren't totally proven uh, in the literature, but they're, they're, they're there. And, and the easiest way to think about that is in your own participation how has participating in hunting changed you as an individual or your participation in the community do you think that's why
0: everybody or most people that want more hunters want more hunters is because it it makes people better people
1: and and that's something that i think i i agree i i totally agree with you in terms of the r3 i i think We're focusing on the wrong, uh, we're focused on the activity. So we're saying we're going to recruit, retain, uh, reactivate hunters. Uh, But I think we should be looking at R3 for conservationists first. Not necessarily thou shalt participate in hunting, in the hopes of being a conservationist, I, I think that's where. Uh, well, yeah. Why
0: not leave it to why Why not leave it to conservation organizations that don't are hunting groups then?
1: And it's an an, an interesting. I, I I think that's an interesting point and something that we should always think about when we're prioritizing work of our organizations. Um, uh, one story where it profoundly affected me in terms of R three. BHA has the hunting for sustainability, which I'm sure you're aware of. Mm-hmm. And it's where we invite people who are, I would characterize them as hunting curious to come out and learn, uh, hunting techniques. But I, I feel as though BHA does a really good job of also teaching that other arm of conservation and public land, the importance of public lands as part of, uh, hunting for sustainability. Do, they teach, him, do in- they teach? Do they
0: teach them to not lease up land and lock everybody out?
1: <laughs> I'm we serious. Probably, I mean, because I
0: think that that's like the most cutthroat thing hunters do to other hunters.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that maybe that's, the what, that's baiting- where I live.
0: I mean, that's where I live. It's like, yeah, I got to drive. There's, there's freaking game five miles out of town for hundreds of miles in every direction, but I got to drive for forever to get to a little scrap, a place, a piece I can get on because it's all leased up.
1: Yeah. And that, that leasing, uh, it's, it's been continuing to grow. It seems like, but, um, did you
0: know a lot of like the media folks and the, even the nonprofits, like have you ever had a place that you haunted and then it got, got, leased up by somebody, an outfitter, and you couldn't go there anymore?
1: Say that question again, sorry. Have you ever had a
0: place that you used to hunt, and now you can't go there because somebody leased it up? Yeah, yep, yep. Um, like, by all lights, by, <laughs> all indications are that there are a lot of groups that applauded that when that happened to you, that yeah. they were happy about that. Uh, like uh, the... The, uh, the Wild Turkey Federation, the National Wild Turkey Federation, they have article, they have a recent article about how to find your hunting lease. Um, and some
1: deer, of that's National some of that deer lease
0: foundation or National Deer Association has a how to find your hunting lease, Onyx, Meat Eater, how to find your hunting lease. So <clears throat> I, I guess. I mean, I don't want more hunters. I think it leads to more leasing and and more lock. It, it, I, I think the efforts to generate interest in hunting lead to more leasing and locking up the lands. But so if these these groups that do want more hunters, it's like they should at least be they should at least be neutral about leasing. But it seems like the goal is we're going to help people lease up the land for themselves. And then we're going to also at the same time, make it so that there's more hunters. It's like how much land, I mean, what planet are these people living on? Yeah.
1: I, I and I, I, think it's uh, a, an, another, I'll, I'll go back to that story, but before I do, I, I think another arm of our three effort should always be paired with, uh, and an equal arm, or greater of increasing access and uh, maintaining access, we have uh, almost an R three of access, right? <laughs> well,
0: yeah, I just hate the like the wiggle wording that goes on. Like, if if R three is going to be a- access, then just call it access in my mind. Right. What? No, What's so. There? It's a matter of of fact, if you want it, if you're trying to grow the hunting community, to me, that's, that's the, because I think that Mark Norquist, I don't know if you listen, you listen to that podcast. Yeah, He's somebody that's in for-profit R3. And he says that he believes over half of hunters don't want more hunters. And I have a lot of frustrated people these days emailing me about how uh how sorry they w- are that they go out hunting these days often because of the crowding S- so yeah. I, I i think if i think that instead of r3 just try to work on access build yeah.
1: it and they will come Con- not- Con- conservation and access yeah um and spreading the north american conservation model I don't, uh,
0: I think, I and I say this a lot, but I don't think, I don't, I, I think that, that R3 is, and hunting media are, are, their net effects are to, are not for conservation. They're for degradation. I mean, the net effect of them in my mind is causing so much crowding that, public lands are in to wildlife for three or four months of the year, depending on where you live.
1: Yeah. I, so, and, and kind of back going back to you, what, what I kind of gained through being a part of hunting for sustainability. Uh, first of all, I, I think I would be surprised as w- if one out of those 12, they were youth from the university of Wyoming took up hunting, uh, But, and maybe this was a sense I got uh, just because they'd been exposed to it, all of them left with a changed conservation ethic. And one of them in particular was a, a fellow from India. He was on an exchange from India and he was doing, a I believe it was a PhD on compassion. So he was in the psychology department, right? Mm -hmm. and at the end and he was a vegan so he's at this hunting for sustainability thing and I watched him and he kind of stood back they were processing the carcasses and he got somewhat involved with that uh but he he you know you can see him kind of sitting back and being hesitant and I I just I we did our best to convey messages of conservation uh and I didn't know how it how it landed, particularly with him. But I was I was very interested into where where he would go and what he was thinking at the end of it. And uh, unprompted at the end, he he said, "I'm studying compassion, and I came here because I thought that to understand compassion, I had to understand evil." And <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not one of those misty eyed guys that tear up very easily, but I sure did on this. He goes, he goes, I learned during this, that there is compassion in hunting and that hunters are compassionate. And I learned that it's the most, the one of the most ultimate forms of compassion to harvest something that you care deeply about, man. I mean, To me, that sort of a a transformation like that. uh, You know, hard to hard to argue with that change that that occurred to that individual during that. Um, And and also to I think those of us that were there teaching that, I mean, it was it was a a palpable moment for sure. So and 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 that's an anecdote. It's an anecdote. But I think. The, the long and short of, of that and what I learned from that is if we can teach conservation in the North American conservation model uh, through the food, the sustainable food movement and the local war movement that that we can reach an audience that we we haven't reached before and that an audience that maybe uh, looks at say uh, typical conservation teachers, such as the nature conservancy that don't have that thread uh, or that gestalt, that potential gestalt of outcomes. uh, I I think there's, there's a hook there in the teachings that is, is profound and can really reach people. Uh, Yeah, I'm on,
0: I'm on board with making people advocates for conservation. And making people helping people be accepting of hunting, I think that's great. I just at the end of the day don't think we need any more hunters
1: yeah and i i have i have I have some uh real heavy apprehensions about how r three seems to be uh being propagated by organizations that are more into uh, uh <laughs> into uh 2a movement and supporting 2a movement than they really are conservation and and so what's, i what's that I, well i you know for example national shooting sports foundation is the main kind of pusher of r three right.
0: they wrote this the 700 page or they funded i think the 700 page practitioners guide to r three
1: yeah and i i think that's the conspiracy theorist in me kind of thinks that that part of that motivation is supporting 2A, heavily supporting 2A more than it is the Wait, conservation. What's 2A? Arm. Second Amendment.
0: Oh, oh, okay, yeah. You know, I I've said this on several episodes already, so you probably heard me say this. That that their their tome is devoted to overcoming barriers. To r three, like, how do we get more people out there? Well, their own research shows that crowding is a major deterrent. Did, did you yeah, pick up I, on that?
1: Yeah, I, I've I've heard you say that, and it it was it was in, interesting how they kind of danced around that a little bit. Well, um, they did. I didn't know they said anything about it. They said on the practi- on the practitioners' guide.
0: Oh, I thought you said they they responded to me. Um, commenting on oh. those statistics
1: i have that right
0: here it's like what is it like 55 percent of people report abandoning places due to pressure and 80 pick their hunting location first and foremost based on pressure
1: they the one i was reading didn't really put good numbers to it but they just say that um Note that crowding is a factor that can neg- negatively affect access. Having access to lands that are undesirable be- desirable because of crowding is nearly the same to the recreationist seeking solitude as having no land's waters at all. Oh, wow. So if you're seeking solitude and it's crowded, it's almost the same as losing access entirely. I don't necessarily agree with that statement, but here's a question I ask a lot of people.
0: I, I don't, I want less hunters. Um, you work on our threesome. So doesn't it seem like you should, if you want, to see more people when you're hunting that you should tell them where you're going to go and have them go there. Yeah. Oh. I don't, why, why put them in, why potentially put them where I hunt? Cause I don't want that, but yeah, if I don't see to say I, to say I want more hunters is the same thing as saying, I want to see more people when I'm out hunting. Mm-hmm. And, right. I don't see a difference. I don't see how you get one without the other. So yeah. like I, I don't understand why people, uh, they think it's virtuous to create more hunters, but they don't want them to have the best opportunity possible because you're going to go where you think your chances are best. So why not tell them where that is and have them there. And if they show up at the trailhead, the same time as you give them a head start. I, (laughs) I, 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 I started out like having hey, asking that joke that question kind of jokingly, but the more I think about it, the more I'm, that's I don't see that really a fundamental logical difference between spot pirating, mm-hmm. which is where you go into somebody else's hunting location that they took you to, and creating new hunters to go do it.
1: Yeah. So, and and that gets back to I think one of the threads or foundational problems that I have with R three is, uh, and, and and I've heard you say it, and I agree with it in many ways. It's it's a mistake to do something to a community, and this goes for anything. Do something to a community without asking that community if it wants it done.
0: Yeah, that's and, what uh, the board of BHA. I was in charge of it. De- developing a membership survey, I'm not in charge. I was on a team of three people, and even though I was on the team that was leading it, the the employee for the state chapter would not allow me to ask two questions: Do you want to see more people when you're out hunting? And if so, how many? yeah so like like that goes to your point they they won't even ask the the community
1: but and that goes like i mean i even feel that way being a born and raised wyoming kid i feel that way about tourists it it seems like there's a disconnect between a lot of local governments and doing everything you can to attract tourists but not asking the community if they want more tourists
0: right (laughs) Yeah, <laughs>
1: and and so I, I I feel that on on many levels, not just in the R three world. I mean, it's it's a consistent that uh, those in power will oftentimes do things without asking, but um, or not even but, a goal. Like all of these nonprofits, all of
0: them have an R three arm. I, the reason is, in my opinion, and you can give me. Your take on it, but is because and is because it's the expectation of their industry sponsors. Um people that get into hunting don't have any gear. So they're a windfall for all the companies that sponsor the nonprofits. And I have heard people talking loosely that work for BHA and are involved in BHA in various capacities. Say that to me. Three people I can think of right now. We we can't do away with R3 because it, our our corporate sponsors won't like it. Um we fundraise our off R three. These are direct quotes. There's a third one that escapes me right now. But mm-hmm. so that's why I think the, the nonprofits do it. Um it, I
1: mean I, in <clears throat> ideally in my mind what we'd be recruiting through R3 would be conservationist first. And if they wanted to haunt, they would, they would do that later. Mm -hmm. Um, And they would make that choice and they'd seek out mentorship. Yeah. Um, And I, I would like to believe that, you know, some of it's in the, the pitching we've placed it. Somebody has placed it into this nice little marketing, uh, package by calling it r3 mm-hmm. and i mean you you've been exposed to the conservation community longer than i i have i hadn't heard uh, that term be
0: surprised you might be surprised i i i wasn't very i was only involved for a couple years with in the leadership role in, in bha and that wasn't until probably six or seven years ago so well
1: i I mean, I, I hadn't heard the term R3. And I, I feel like I've been around and and consuming a lot of different ways to hear about R3. And it just kind of slowly rolled up. Uh, and But somebody packaged it somewhere to roll off your tongue. And I mean, obviously, it, it has connotations from marketing somewhere, mm-hmm. I would imagine. I don't uh,
0: even think it's that af- effective. I think that Social media influencers and and hunting TV are way better recruitment engines than R three, but I just see it as if the nonprofits if if the if the nonprofit started to say their stance became we are going to look out for the existing hunting community. We have an existing population of hunters that have been doing it their whole life. They're already bought in. Their thought patterns already revolve around hunting. Their passion already lies with hunting. And we're to a point now where they can't fulfill their passion without pulling out their paycheck, pay book paybook, their their checkbook. Because there's a there's people freaking everywhere. And everything's leased up. There are people everywhere on the public and everything, and all the private's leased up. So we're gonna we're gonna look out for these people that have already developed a passion for it. That if they if if, an, if a nonprofit would come out and say that, then I think that it would put some some um pressure on the influencers and the people that grip and grin online. And the hunting TV folks to recognize the problem. So I, you know, instead the nonprofits are in bed with the hunting personalities. They're all buddy buddy, and it's always more is merrier. Cause yeah.
1: No, and I, I think maybe
0: uh I hate harping on this, but if it wasn't for crowding, I wouldn't have a podcast.
1: That's right. I wouldn't.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't. That. That's it. I'd be, if hunting was not a precious resource that anybody could go have a quality experience, no matter where they lived, then my work would be done. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And I think that maybe at least my, my problem with how our is deployed and, and stop me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but to me, the, the, the measure of success shouldn't be a new hunter. (laughs) The measure of success and the gateway into hunting, the gateway into hunting should be conservation, Mm. not the other way around. The gateway into conservation is hunting. And I think that's where, um, at least I have a problem with the R3 movement. I I feel like it's using hunting as a gateway to conservation when it should be the other way around. Yeah. Um, And maybe there's some hooks there that hunting can provide uh, by titillating people's uh, interest in being a local vore or, or getting meat uh, or that gestalt of experiences and benefits that can only be derived through hunting. Maybe there's some hooks there, but it doesn't need, adding new hunters is not what we need, period. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I mean that, even if you disagree that even if crowding's not an issue where you're at, uh, we can add plenty of new hunters. But that isn't going to mean that we get better as a as a uh, as a culture of hunters that we are more interested in conservation, less interested in posting pictures of us hanging ducks out of our mouth. Um, so
0: okay, yeah, go ahead. So it's to. a,
1: it's, it's the shotgun marketing approach of R3 that I think I, that doesn't sit well with me and it's, and, and, and it's being, it's just add hunters at all costs. Well, if we aren't adding good hunters, um, we're adding to the crowding problem that you talk about and the image problem that right. <laughs> everyone can agree that we have, um, so I, I, I agree with you. I, I think we can, we should be retool. If, if we're going to do R three, we should be retooling it to be focused on, on uh, our, the goal of adding conservationists first and by golly, you know, and, and I would, I would go so far to say is I'll, I'll use my mom as an example. She grew up around hunting through her father, never wants to hunt, in her life, but and and really doesn't want to deal with blood, um, and and would be extremely grossed out by some of the photos on the on social media of of what people do with dead animals. But she knows the value of the North American wildlife conservation model, including hunting, and she's accepting of it. If we build a legion of people like that through whatever you want to call it, uh, we're going to be far more successful uh, in maintaining the uh, uh, credibility of hunting through time than if we just wildly add hunters with no regard for for the conservation ethic or the North American conservation model. Is that, with the education
0: piece, is it the most... Important thing: making non-hunters aware of of uh, that that people are hunting for the right reasons. They have they they have laudable goals in mind when they hunt. Is that the big thing that needs to happen with education, or is it and uh, education about conservation issues.
1: I think, I, I think there's two, there's, those are good two arms that are, are very, very credible. I think in, in doing so, I, I, I can't really prioritize one over the other uh, in my mind, but I think those are both kind of the, the focus there. In um, an example I'll use is, I would bet if you, even in a, where, you, where you're where you at in Mile City or where I'm at in land or Western communities, if you walk down the street saying, uh, do you know the difference between uh, additive or compensatory take and how that relates to hunting uh, and conservation, I bet you, you would, you'd hit donuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> even in communities that should know those concepts, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's that's part of the messaging, uh, caring capacity, and going all the way back to Aldo Leopold's Fierce Green Fire essay. A lot of people like to think that that's about wolves, but it's as, it's as much about deer and how deer can exceed the carrying capacity of their landscape and how that can cause long-term impacts to deer in their habitat uh, as it is. It's just as much about that as it is about wolves. Uh, and, and I think there's a real lack of understanding of that concept. Moreover, uh, this unique set of outcomes that people derive from hunting and, and, uh, and yeah, I, I think both those arms are, are extremely important that, and we should, if we're prioritizing education, we should prioritize education on those items, not on, Hey, (laughs) buy a gun, buy camo, get a backpack get a tent and go as far in as you can to be like uh, insert favorite influencer here
0: I I hear a, a lot of people uh, argue along the lines that you just argued that there are that there are a very large, a very large segment of the population doesn't know things that we desperately need them to know. That that the hunting community desperately needs them to know, and that is why I'm doing my Instagram. That's why I'm our um, three. That's why I make hunting content I I what I I just don't share the sense of urgency that there's that that society just doesn't understand these things and if we don't teach them our way of life is gone. I get I I need to have that fleshed out for me a little bit. Like what conservation What specific conservation um, training needs to be done by BHA that all will be lost if we don't teach non hunters X? Because I think the biggest threats to our pastime lie elsewhere. I think it's in the gross monetization, the killing animals for the wrong reasons, and all the other things I rail against. So, But I'd say the majority of people are in your camp. They see a desperate need to educate people. And hunting TV, it's all about education. That's what they say. um, That's all about education. I'm I'm having this guy on that that wrote this article. Uh, It's called This Kill Shot. Is brought to you by dot 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 an analysis of hunting television in the United States. It's an academic article, and he argues that there's all they're always talking about education, always talking about conservation, but then you watch the show like we were talking about a little while ago, and they're all you analyze the shows, and it's all just about the kill shot. So I guess, yeah, just struggling to understand what it is that hunters so desperately need to know about what we do. I, I live in a state where if you try, if a politician tried to ban hunting, they'd, they'd string them up in the street. There's not like yeah. anti-hunters don't have a, don't have a freaking prayer here. And um, I'd say that it's a pretty, I don't know, environmentally, minded state by and large um so a lot of i'd say the most passionate conservation minded folks i know are probably not even hunters
1: so yeah help me figure out why we yeah need. it's I, I think that's a great question i would i would i would go at it two in 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 really two parts um the obvious one, and the one that we we always like to throw out, right, is uh, that's how we stay relevant and a- avoid the situation, the ballot box biology um, over time. That that to me is the easy one, right? That's that's the easy one to go at. Um, but I think I think it's 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 maybe some layers deeper to that. I think one thing I would point out is the idea versus compensatory and additive take that concept is probably (laughs) you would have the same failure in your survey rates of somebody that knew that among hunters and non hunters. So that's not just an education to Mm -hmm. reach conservation, you know, reach non hunters. That's an education of ourselves Mm -hmm. that we need to pay more attention to. Uh, But moreover, I think, That education, the the education of people on conservation, the pressing need is to help give us a conscience when it comes to consuming wildlife habitat. And that could be as simple as somebody who's buying land out west and saying, okay, I'm going to carve this up and not knowing that in carving it up and reselling it, that they're fragmenting mule deer habitat or whatever. Um, and the one that, that we deal with here in Lander being kind of a posh mountain town. And it's one that, uh, when you talk about what's affecting your hunting experience, what's affecting hunting experience Uh, a lot here is consumption of habitat for recreation and tourism (laughs) and, uh, and, and not hunting. It feels like hunting's being forgotten as an economic driver in these communities. And it's like taken for granted that hunting will always be around while they, uh, and a classic example is the Vail area in Colorado and their elk herd. I don't know if you've been watching a lot of the research that goes on there, but major impacts from trail-based recreation that's occurring to the point where their calving ratio is, is falling apart. And what I'm seeing is a disconnect, you know, people, a disconnect between people and their impacts. And uh, it goes, it goes back to that. You know, I, 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 I must admit, I, I have read uh, Sand County Almanac. I do think it has a tendency to be like like how some people treat the Bible. It's often quoted but never read.
0: Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know? I, I read it as a young man.
1: <laughs> but uh, but that that assumption that that heat comes from a furnace. I think there's assumption out there that meat comes from the store. Right mm-hmm. and uh, and that what we'll always have wildlife and they'll always be able to cope. Never mind that we're just slowly squeezing them down into less desirable habitats with our action and our consumption.
0: Oh, you're nailing it! You're nailing it. If so that, that yeah, those are all incredibly valuable things. So if society. to me, art
1: free or whatever you call it, would be wildly successful. If we could give our consumption as humans, and that goes all levels, a conscience, mm-hmm. and I think you brought the conscience to hunting, like that's what you're kind of pairing with with your concepts, and I I think that's super helpful and 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 uh, needed. Uh,
0: so well, thank you. I I I uh, know that I'm taking the wrong way, so. Um, but I have a lot, I have a lot of love in my heart for hunters that do it right. Like hunters like you. Um, and that's why I get, I get concerned about people hunting for crappy reasons or to make money and all that stuff or to get famous and, and people locking up land for themselves. Um, I just, I'm scared for, for people like you and me that we really beholden on hunting public land. That's what I don't, I don't, you don't strike me as a guy that would lease up a place if you could, maybe you can, you know, I don't know, but you.
1: I can I can barely manage my front lawn and keep that thing mowed, yeah. man, and, and uh so I don't have money sloshing around enough for a hunting leash lease. So I,
0: I just hope it becomes it becomes clear in time if it isn't already to my sit my the six people that listen to this podcast, that my concern is with my the the people I know and the people that I even the people I don't that are doing it for the right reasons. You know, so that's what motivates me to speak out.
1: Yeah. No, and that's that's exactly right. And I I think we we have an opportunity to uh you know, the the good part of social media is everybody has a voice and the bad part about social media is everybody has a voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we do have an opportunity to uh, let that voice rattle around in in how we consume, like you've pointed out and how we interact. I mean, that's the other part that I I think uh, and, and, and how we, how we post ourselves. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that's super important. Yeah.
0: You know, all along as I was, gear enough to start this podcast i i thought if i if if people pay attention to me and i don't i'm not sure that they will i i would i tend to doubt they will but they might some might but if a bunch of people paid attention to me that I would wanna <clears throat> i would wanna corral it into some action items you know like don't follow hunting social media don't watch huntings TV. Um I have eight bullet points on my website. Um celebrate landowners that provide access, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so but maybe that will isn't the value. Maybe just talking to people is the value and having conversations that people can listen to, and having people smarter than me like hear a few different ideas and and think through the right way to move funding forward. I don't know. Maybe it's yeah. You know. Maybe I'm not trying to start a movement. Maybe I'm just trying to have conversations with thoughtful people like yourself.
1: You're you're subtly trying to get us to wash our hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, we're <clears throat>
0: we've been at it for a couple hours. Uh, I'm going to let you carry on, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on, Jared, and sharing your thoughts um, I wish you the yeah, best great, luck.
1: Great chatting with you. And I, I appreciate you giving an offer to come on a podcast, as a complete stranger. So <laughs> I, it was a great conversation.
0: Yeah. Agreed.